Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and glad to help you on your journey towards senior leadership in the charitable world. Thank you for listening and for your feedback. Glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. And I hope you'll consider doing me a favor. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. You can just go to the podcast page on our website and consider who you might share this episode with. As you'll hear in just a minute, I think there's going to be some content that likely will not only help you, but also someone else you know that's on the nonprofit path. Now, I had a fantastic conversation with Camber Parker, who is a talented nonprofit professional who not only serves as a fundraiser for the Parkinson Society in the Greenville-Spartanburg area of South Carolina, but she's also created a wonderful resource platform for young professionals. It's called YoPro No. Now, that's YoPro as short for young professional, and No is K-N-O-W. Clearly, Camber and I share a passion for professional development And we talk in particular about other young professionals like her and what they are thinking about in terms of nonprofit career opportunities. Perhaps more importantly, for you that are already nonprofit leaders, what do you need to know about attracting and retaining this kind of talent? Camber and I talk about YoPro No and what she's learned about the young professional generation of which she is a part, what they are struggling with, what they are succeeding with, uh, as she has interviewed over a 100 young professionals across all nonprofit and for-profit sectors. But that has certainly given her insight, as well as some of the coaching she has done in helping young professionals consider their career path. Given her own particular path toward nonprofit leadership, she's especially equipped to talk about some of the myths and the realities of her generation as they move into nonprofit leadership? And what are some of the incentives and the culture necessary for a nonprofit leader to attract young professionals like Camber? I think you may find the answers will surprise you. Well, don't forget to check out the show notes. This is episode number 80. Just go to the podcast or the news page at patmcdowell.com and you'll find all of the resources Camber and I discussed, as well as more information on the great work she's doing, both at the Parkinson Society and through YoProNo. In addition to the professional development resources Camber provides, make sure you go to our website, connect with us, get on our email list to assure that you receive our weekly free resources and other material, including podcast episodes like this one. Let us help you in your nonprofit on its strategy or fundraising or perhaps on your personal journey toward nonprofit leadership. We've got coaching, training, and mastermind programs that may be of interest. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Camber Parker. Camber, thank you for joining me on the path. Thanks so much for having me, Patton. I really am excited for today. Well, I'm excited as well. And Camber, you're the perfect person to talk about this topic, which I think, frankly, is on every nonprofit leader's mind. And that topic is how do I attract and retain talent? Uh, Not only are you a nonprofit professional, but you've been very successful as an entrepreneur uh, setting up what is a very cool platform in Yo Pro No. 
and, and you've talked to over a hundred young professionals about their career aspirations and many other things. And of course, among some of their aspirations is nonprofit. So thank you for being here. Excited to dive into this. And why don't you first start, tell us, how did you come to this dual role you have now of nonprofit professional and entrepreneur? Yes. So I guess I have to start by just talking about my boss because she is the reason that I'm able to have this, this dual role, if you will. <laughs> Good point. She, she's been a wonderful leader. And I will, I will talk about that a lot throughout this podcast because I believe that leaders are one of the most important ways that you can continue to retain talent, um, particularly those who are young professionals. So really that's the first, the first reason that I'm able to do what I do. Um, and I guess it would help to mention, you know, this, this nonprofit role that I have, I was an intern prior to joining the team officially um, after a stint in the insurance world for about a year. Right. But in that first, um, that first stint at the Parkinson's Society where I now work, I was an intern. And so I really got the lay of the land so that when I did come back in May of 2018, I hit the ground running. There wasn't a huge learning curve. And that allowed me to, once I was a few months into the role, I realized, okay, I do have the flexibility in my schedule to be able to do what I need to do for YoProno and run this business outside of my working hours for the Parkinson Society. And again, that is all credited to my boss who is really very much on the page of, I want you to get your work done. And she has really high standards, but she knows that we're going to get the work done and she won't micromanage you ever. And she always says, I'll step in if I need to, but she hasn't had to do that because she gives me the ownership that I need. Um, and so I know that, you know, pre-pandemic era, when I was going to networking events and trying to meet prospective donors and, and companies that would then sponsor us, I knew that, okay, I'm going to work late one night or early one morning so that I know I can squeeze in a meeting for YoProno in the middle of the day. Or, you know, maybe it's a weekend where I have to spend all of my time doing YoProno because I have a heavy gaps week the next week. So it's all about finding that balance. And it really, it's because of the organization's culture that I'm able to do those things. I love that, Camber. And of course, glad that you give a shout out to your boss at the Parkinson's organization. And frankly, that's a characteristic we'll talk about, you know, what are those things that good bosses need to employ to attract and retain talent to people like you. And I'm also struck by the value of internships. And maybe that's something else we'll talk about because yeah. organizations like Parkinson's obviously were able to find you and, and then that helped you get oriented to that organization. Um, well, before we dive into some of that though, Cameron, let me ask you this. Uh, I've been asking all my guests and obviously you've had to adapt to this virtual world uh, better than anybody. Um, but how have you done that, you know, particularly as a fundraiser for a nonprofit? Yes. So that is a million dollar question. It, it has changed. Um, it's been such a roller coaster over the last 10 months, but I would say my two tips are time blocking. That has to be the number one, making sure that I know exactly what I'm doing and when I'm doing it throughout the day. Otherwise I get distracted. And that is the second option, you know, being around the house you have to remove those distractions. So whether right. that's flipping my phone upside down or leaving it in another room, um, whether that's closing out my email tabs to work on grant writing, I have to make that sacrifice, if you will, um, because it's hard when you're at home and you are isolated. You know, you want 
you want that interaction. And so phones give that to you, um, you know, particularly us millennials. And I know <laughs> right, right. To that, but we, we need to recognize that those things are distractions as well. They're great tools, but they're distractions. And so time blocking and removing distractions have, have been two tools that have helped me. Great advice, Cameron. And you're right. As much as in some ways we like the flexibility and freedom of working from home, yeah, it is also funny how we find ourselves doing random chores <laughs> that maybe we're not on our to-do list for the day, but uh, we need to remain focused as you suggest. Um, well, again, I'm delighted to dive into things you've already hinted at in your earliest comments. Let's start with this. What exactly is YoPro No? Also a great question. YoPro No is, I'll first start with the name. Um, YoPro is a, an abbreviated version of young professional. So back in the day, yuppies was a term that was used quite often, but right. YoPro is, is the name that I have termed um, and I've been using for a while. So YoPro No, K-N-O-W, um, hints at the fact that young professionals are in the know. We get a bad rep sometimes for, you know, being lazy, entitled, maybe we're, our, head is, our heads are in the cloud, maybe we're not paying attention. <laughs> Right. Um, you know, they're just some generalizations, but after interviewing all these young professionals, what I realized is we, we do know what's going on and we have a lot of value and, and things to bring to the table. And so that's what the YoProno does is, is share those reflections. And so the YoProno started off as a blog, then turned company. I incorporated it back in 2019. And the goal of the company is to help maximize young professionals' careers um, to the best of our ability. So we do that through stories with young professionals across the world, across various stages of life, regions, and industries. We do that through virtual networking series that are free. All of our resources are free, um, except for the individualized career consulting. And that's right. how we've been able to monetize this year. So we have all of these opportunities, and I'm hoping to expand those in the new year. Love that, Camber. And of course, as you and I have discussed, um, you're talking to young professionals who are pursuing every type of profession, but there are certainly some that are considering the nonprofit field, which we'll, of course, focus on. But tell, tell our listeners about what I think is a very neat concept. And what are you trying to get out of the interviews and how do you determine who you interview? Yeah. So one of the very first interviews, actually the first interview I ever had, um, I didn't, I had no idea what I was doing at the time. His name was Sean. Um, <laughs> right. He served as sort of a mentor to me um, in my first career. And he actually didn't even work in the, in the, um, the first job that I worked at, but we had met through um, a local chamber and he, I just decided to sit down because I wanted to know about his path. I wanted to know what he was doing. And he asked me, so what exactly are you doing here? Like, I'm happy to, of course you can record this, but you know, what's the next step? And I didn't, right, right. I had no idea. Um, and I just had this, this passion and this, this inkling that this could be something. And so naturally I said, well, why don't you connect me with the next person? And so it began. And so every person that I interview connects me to the next person. And that is a way to show that we're all interconnected at the end of the day. I mean, I've had some crazy connections, like a friend that I interviewed once, she connected me through a, a chain of her friends that went to UT Austin with her and somehow ended up talking to somebody in New Orleans who lives, like her roommate is best friends 
with one of my college friends. And just like, I mean, wow. what a crazy, and that happens all the time. I mean, I've met, I've met people who know people from different parts of my life or, and it's just, I think that's so cool. So that is, that's one component. Um, and the other component, you know, it helps me because I don't have to spend all of my time trying to search for these interviews. And it's just, so it kind of kills two birds with one stone, but, um, but that is how I, I interview people. Um, and so as I've, as the, the interviews have gone on and as the company has expanded, you know, I do ask people, all right, I have a lot of people in this industry and I am looking for this industry. Can you, can you think of any of your contacts in that field? But other than that, I don't have a, I don't have criteria other than they have to be a young professional and preferably in a different field than you. And I really have gotten a very diverse pool without having to try very hard. So I think that shows just again, how many career paths there actually are and how many opportunities And that at the end of the day, is why I started Yoprono in the first place to show young professionals all the jobs and opportunities that are out there that aren't necessarily broadcasted to you in your early career and even in your college years. That's such a good point to underscore. And of course, I know you and I both have a, a passion for the nonprofit field. I, I, I want more young professionals to at least entertain nonprofit leadership. It doesn't mean they're all going to go there, but everybody has a cause, right? And they, they're going to have opportunities to volunteer and serve on boards and be involved in nonprofits. So I love that you're creating a network, which by the way, reinforces the power of networking. And even within the nonprofit field, we can do a better job of networking and you're creating to me a system to do that. Uh, Thank you for that. Obviously, we're going to put it in the show notes because I want our listeners to check out the good work you're doing. Um, before we get maybe more into the specifics of the nonprofit professionals you talk to, maybe in general, Canberra, have you found, are there certain kind of keys to success or themes that come out of these interviews with the young professionals you're speaking with? Yes, there are. And, you know, just conveniently, I did release my 2020 year in review where I talked about what we accomplished, what we learned, those key takeaways and what we're planning for in 2021. And out of those key takeaways, I would say, you know, out of the hundreds of young professionals I've, I've spoken with over the past few years, one of the biggest things is you cannot make work your whole life. Um, I would say that people who have figured this out have, have found success in their young professionals careers because they don't, even if they take work home with them occasionally, they know that, that is not the key to a, a successful and happy life. And right. I would say that, you know, out of the people I interview, and I do interview people between 21 and 39 years old, that's a huge span. Sure. Um, the, the people in their 20s, I would say, are not the ones who are telling me this. The people in their early 30s and, and mid to late 30s are the ones who are telling me this because, of course, they've had that experience. And so there aren't many people that were telling those in their 30s this same thing. Um, so my hope is that people, this, this grows enough where people can really listen and hear what these young professionals are saying, um, particularly the ones who are a little more experienced with that, you know, seven to 10 years of experience and listen and say, okay, I know that I can't make work my whole life. And it, I'm not saying, you know, don't work hard, like don't, right, don't right, work right, over right. those 40 hours a week. Like sometimes that is necessary, but there's a distinction between doing that and, making work seep into every part of your life. And I would say that's the biggest key to success that I've found. Yeah, I'm glad you're lifting that up. And those that 
have found a way to balance. And I know it's cliche, but the work-life balance, or, and I guess or that is the struggle that you perhaps are hearing most about. And is, it, is that also contained more into the 20-somethings in terms of, yeah, I just can't get my head above water? Or what, what kind of struggles are you hearing in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in your 20s, I would say just trying to jump into a role with false expectations is the is the hardest part because you know whether you go to college or not your whole life you've been told all right you gotta here's here are the the five paths you can take that's a generalization but you know you kind of grow up thinking go into finance medicine law business etc and you know those are kind of the the key things but you don't really think of of many specific jobs other than those first standard ones that you would imagine when you think of those industries and so people have these false expectations that you get into the workplace and you know, you're going to make a lot of money. You're going to just love your job right away. And that's not the reality. And so that's the first stressor. Um, that's the first big problem that people face that they're not, they're not ready for. Um, and so work stress, managing that work-life balance right away, managing your finances. Um, those are, those are some big ones that people in their twenties face. And, and specifically with Gen Z, you know, if we're looking at the newest, um, generation to get into the workforce, this is the first time many of us are experiencing furloughs at the beginning of your career and wow. mass, mass furloughs. Like these yeah. are, these are stressors that millennials didn't have to, you know, not, I mean, there's the older part of the millennials definitely had to deal with it back in the last recession, but you know, people in my position, I'm 25, we've never had to deal with anything like this before. And so that is a whole other stressor and a whole other problem um, set that that comes right now during this specific period in time. I was going to ask you about that. And you, of course, highlighted the stress of the current pandemic and the economic kind of ramifications of that. And I, I guess, and maybe naive of me to think, well, Gen Z, are they perhaps more adaptable to this virtual environment? Or do you find it is also creating another level of stress that we all are having to work from home? But I wonder in particular, for your generation, so to speak? So I want to kind of answer that in two parts. I think absolutely they're adaptable to this because they have, you know, been on their their phones and their computers their whole life. So right. although this isn't challenging for them from a technical, a technical standpoint, it's challenging from a social standpoint. I have friends who are not in Gen Z who are my age and older and you know, they switched jobs during the pandemic, Right. Um, which they were really grateful and lucky to have, you know, still been able to get a job during this time and, and switch careers. And they're struggling because how do you make friends in the office when you're, you know, doing it virtually? And that's really tough. And so everyone, no matter, no matter what generation you're from is, is struggling with this. And so I think the Gen Zers, you know, they're, they're adaptable to the technology, but adapting to the social um, the social nuances this has brought on is going to be really challenging. It's the same as, you know, kids who are not able to, to go to school right now, they're missing out on a critical, um, you know, social growth and social development. And it's the same thing for Gen Zers who are getting into this workplace without physically meeting anyone. Uh, it's so good. And I'm glad you lift all that up because obviously we're going to turn our conversation into the nonprofit sector and nonprofit leaders who need to be sensitive to the audience you just described, you know, your generation and others that we're all struggling with it in different ways. But I wonder if there couldn't be better awareness from the nonprofit leadership to those issues you 
just uh, illuminated. Um, I guess it's one thing, Camber, you've been responsive through Yo Pro No in providing those resources you lifted up. And I guess the coaching in particular, are you finding that now people need that even more? Oh, yes. All of the people that I've actually coached during this time have been results of furloughs or, um, or firings because of the pandemic. And so yep. that's been a really unique um, unique experience for me because that's why I've been able to have several clients during this time. And it's not something that I have been broadcasting widely. Like if you go on my website, it's there, but it's not something that's in your face because, you know, as a business owner, I'm trying to figure out the best way to maximize my time. And part of, part of the individualized career consulting is a lot of time. And I'm, I love, I want to mention, you know, one of the services that we do provide because, which is the consulting, because it's so individualized, it's based yeah. on the person, but based on the knowledge that I've received and, and gained from the hundreds of young professionals I've reached out to. And I, I use them as, as contacts and connections. And so that's one of the beautiful parts about my interviews. I actually, I always tell everyone after I interview them, this is not a one and done kind of thing. Nice. I, I encourage connection. I, I reach out to people that I interview. I follow them on LinkedIn and, you know, I shoot them a text or an email when I see a, a change in their career or when I see they were promoted or they moved to a different city. Like I like to keep up with them. And of course that's a lot of time, but, um, but that is, that's who I am as a person. I, I think of myself as a connector. And so because of all these relationships, I'm able to help the people that I consult. And so, um, so that's been a really unique part of, of my experience with the Yoprono. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think we all need better connections, frankly, and particularly given the isolation of the pandemic. Yeah. And you're becoming a bridge for a lot of individuals. And then I think lo more largely, you're able to connect communities. And that's yeah. what we're doing. And I guess it leads to the, the kind of area you and I both have interest in, which is nonprofit. As you talk to these many young professionals, not all of them, are interested in uh, the nonprofit uh, world, but I'm curious, are you seeing interest in the nonprofit profession? I am. And that is primarily because Gen Z is known as the generation who is looking for work, not because of money, but because of the social good that they're right. going to accomplish. And so the difference between Gen Z and millennials is millennials, we want to do good too. Don't get us wrong. I mean, I obviously, I work for a nonprofit full time, but the difference is salary is very important to a lot of millennials. And we'll talk about that later uh, because there are, there is data to prove that, but Gen Z is not doing it because of the money. They actually want to see their work, you know, and see the return from their work and see how that's impacting their communities. And so because of the social good, um, I think that we will see more and more young people get into jobs because of their values and, and not because or excuse me, because of their social values and, and not necessarily those financial values. Great point. And of course, that, that's a lesson, isn't it, for nonprofit leaders to make sure they articulate well those values, those social values. Uh, of course, they still need to provide, you know, decent employment uh, opportunity right. in terms right. of compensation I, and all that. Can I, I'm sorry to interrupt, Patton. Can I sure. mention some of the interviews, you know, if you go on my website, you'll see on the Yoprono website, you will see if you hover over interviews, you can choose a category, you can choose an industry. So if you know, you're a young professional 
who's looking to switch careers or if you are in college or you're you're in that college age and you're looking to start working for a nonprofit, you can select nonprofit and see all of the people who I've interviewed in that nonprofit space. And it, to be honest, it's, it's a hodgepodge. I mean, I have people who, you know, I have somebody who's a youth minister, so obviously a little different, but that is still in that same category. I've interviewed somebody who works for the Heart Association. I've interviewed somebody who actually does corporate responsibility. So not necessarily working for a nonprofit, but working with nonprofits. And so I just want to mention that there's, there's a lot of different opportunities that are out there in the nonprofit field that I, so I have interviewed people just across the, the range really. And it's quite interesting. Um, the overlap that you see with those interviews, even though they're, they're working in very different organizations. Well, I love you that you left that up because uh, it, in my coaching in particular, I work with our masterminds. We talk about, studying or being a student of other professions, other job descriptions, because I think it helps either uh, amplify the work you're doing where you are, or at least opens you up to different types of positions, different ways jobs are organized and, and explained. And I think that's healthy. And again, that's what I know YoPro know is helping create a community that allows us to compare now, in particular in the nonprofit, when you have those conversations, I guess the question sometimes nonprofit executives will ask me, Camber, is like, all right, I know these young professionals are well-intentioned, but do they really understand the work they're getting into? Uh, despite, you know, their, their great intentions, mm -hmm. you are in it yourself, Camber. What do you think in terms of that question? Yeah, I, I don't think, I think like most industries, I think young professionals have a false expectation of what their reality is. Right. Once they walk through those doors, um, you know, maybe they're virtual doors, but once they walk through those doors um, and the nonprofit realm is no exception, I certainly, I mean, thankfully I had a year under my belt uh, in corporate America. And so I, rec and I recognized that I had a lot of false expectations in that first job too. And so I think maybe I was a little more, um, I had those ideas were worn in into my head by the time I got to the Parkinson's society. But I would say the different, yeah, the different differentiating factor between the two is that in nonprofit, you wear many hats and yeah. it's hard to anticipate what all of those hats are going to be. And so I'm sure you agree with me. And I know that many <laughs> right. people listening to this will also agree because you just wear a lot of hats. And sometimes that's, you have, sometimes you have to know, you have to accept that that is what's going to happen, but a lot of people don't know to anticipate that. And so again, that's, that's why Yopro Know is a resource. That's why this podcast is a resource um, to try to help people realize that before they get there. You find that, uh, the, of course, wearing many hats is a value or as I've worked with folks, sometimes people maybe want to get their first start in a larger nonprofit where they have a more I guess, defined role, a single hat, if you will, mm -hmm. or would you suggest a role like it sounds like yours now, you, you really like the multiple hats you have to wear? I actually, I would say that what I'm doing, I would, I would prefer. I think, I think people need to have this experience because you get to see, and I actually feel very lucky because I work for such a small organization. And so I do see the ins and outs of what's going on. Um, my boss is very open about, you know, her decisions and, and the direction that she wants to take. And she also asks our team for our opinions too. And that doesn't happen in a larger organization. And so I feel really grateful. And although at times it's hard for me to, to juggle all of the fundraising balls, so to speak, but 
I really wouldn't have it any other way because I think I'm getting such a great experience at a young age and I'm able to apply that in other parts of my life, including you, Cornell. Uh, that's well put. And I'm glad if someone were approaching you about, all right, Canberra, I'm thinking about nonprofit. You uh, identified internship as, of course, a wonderful path. Is there anything else you would advise someone who says, you know, I, I want to get into nonprofit work? How how could I become better prepared maybe for that opportunity? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, internship is actually my number one answer. You have to you have to get a feel and, and, you know, say you don't realize that nonprofits for you until, until it's too like, you know, too late. And maybe you don't, um, maybe you don't want to get an internship. You want to just, and you can't, you know, financially have an internship that is unpaid, which a lot of nonprofit internships are. Um, you need to, to look, take a step back and, and recognize, all right, if I can't have an internship, then what else do I need to do before I get there? And I would say, just talk to as many people as you can. That is another key takeaway from hundreds of interviews with young professionals across all professions, you need to ask a lot of questions before you get there. So reach out to people on LinkedIn. I do not, some people think it's creepy to reach out to somebody they don't know, but newsflash, that's why LinkedIn was invented. <laughs> exactly. You need, to, you need to be comfortable just reaching out to people, be confident, um, talk to people who, you know, talk to the interns, reach out to people who are in, the, you know, staffing, reach out to people in communications. There's, there's never too many people that you can talk to. I couldn't agree more. And I think if you're respectful of someone's time, you ask intelligent questions, do a little homework, right? But then that kind of networking is absolutely uh, agreed upon. And we wouldn't be on LinkedIn, for example, if we weren't open to that. And of course, I want to put another um, I guess, lift up the internship model that you have benefited from. I did too. You know, literally I've been in nonprofit for 30 years now as a result of an internship to Special Olympics International, um, which at the time for me was, all right, I thought it would be cool to be in DC for a summer, but it became literally a career defining opportunity. So one, for those of you exploring nonprofit uh, opportunities, think about internships, but also Camber, it, more nonprofit leaders and organizations maybe need to offer internships. Uh, and I'm wondering, cause I don't see every nonprofit even doing that. Yeah, you're right. And I, I don't know, I don't know in this time period too, if that plays a role, you know what I mean? True. Like internship, internships, virtual internships are challenging. And so that could hurt the nonprofit industry in a way. Um, one thing that, I do want to mention too, just in terms of, you know, how to better prepare this generation for working in this sector, you have to, you have to let people know that it's okay to not love your first job, maybe even it, your interesting. Job. And I say that because my first job, if I didn't, if I liked it, I would still be there. And who knows what would, who knows where I would be now um, in terms of, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have continued working on YoPro No. Um, and I probably wouldn't have found this. So same thing goes with your first nonprofit job. You know, if that's not what you love, then maybe another nonprofit is right for you. And so I think it's important for any young professionals that are listening to this or for people who are managing young professionals, you know, let them know without saying, you know, it's all right if you hate this job, like <laughs> right. let them know that if this is not the position for you, then let's try to find another one that plays to your strengths more. Great point. 
you and I were lucky, right, that we had internships that absolutely blossomed into great opportunities. But yeah, I'd hate for someone to dismiss the whole sector because of perhaps a bad, you know, first experience. So I'm glad you make that point. And I want to circle back to one, Camber, you made about, again, now I'm in the executive director chair for a nonprofit. Um, what, do, what do I need to better understand about your generation? Uh, again, I, I don't mean to generalize, but of course you pointed out a lot of our senior leaders maybe are generalizing or stereotyping your generation. Yeah. And that's, I mean, if you look back at the generations before us, this always happens. You, you're, we all get um, stamped with, you know, the generation that we're in. And so, you know, somebody could look at me and then look at one of my peers and it's completely different because of course we're just generalizing here. But I would say the biggest things for you and for others, you know, other peers that you have um, when you're looking at both millennials and Gen Zers, so the younger professionals, um, YPs, young professionals, we want to work hard. We want to stand out in our areas. And for those of us who work in these larger organizations, sometimes it's harder to do that, especially when there are when there's a surplus of young professionals. So recognize that we want to work hard and we want to make a difference in our communities and what better place to do that than the nonprofit space. So recognize that we're here for a reason. Like we're not here for the salary. We're just not, yeah. you know, yeah. you have to, like, I think we all know that. And so we're not here for the salary. We want to work hard. So give us things, give us tasks and roles that play to our strengths. That was the first the first job I had in, in the corporate insurance space, I was in a role that was not playing to my strengths. And so right. I struggled every day for a year because it was, it was a job I was horrible at, to be honest. And it, it had nothing to do with anything I was good at. I mean, it was the opposite of being social, being a connector. Um, it, it just had nothing to do with those. And so look for their strengths. And if you can't find it right away, then help them figure out what those strengths are. Because when you're just starting off, it is harder sometimes to recognize what those are. Um, another thing that I've learned just from my interviews is that passion is at the center of so many people's jobs. Um, but there, it's also the center, it's also not the center of a lot of jobs. And right. those are the people who have been really unhappy in their roles and they've switched. So learning, you know, figuring out why are they there? So for me, I have a personal connection to Parkinson's disease. And right. that's different than the rest of my team. Everyone has different reasons for being there. And my boss knows what those passions are. And so again, she aligns them with the roles that I am doing every single day. For me, I'm not asking anyone for money. I mean, you know, good fundraisers know that you never end up, you'll never ask people for money if you're good at fundraising. Yeah. Um, it's selling, it's selling the mission and it's selling that mission through your eyes. And so for me, you know, I have a connection to Parkinson's and that is what drives my role. So knowing what those passions are of your young professionals will help you so much in the long run. Love the way you articulate that. And, and I've had people throughout my fundraising career, like, uh, you fundraise, you know, the connotation is smacks of a negative yeah. <laughs> uh, reality. And I'm like, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm not twisting people's arms. My job, I think, is to facilitate their charitable interest in a cause that we both believe in. And I like the way you put it, that you're not asking for money. You're just simply going to facilitate their, they want to help Parkinson's if you're talking to them, right? 
and you're just going to help them find a way to do it. Uh, so I, I like that. And I think it's worth underlining, but I want to go back to a point you just made about how nonprofit leaders can, we've talked about attracting, you know, someone like you, but also retaining you. And it sounds like one, we need to play to your strengths. Um, is there anything else we need to do um, to help someone like you not just feel good about taking the job, but staying with it? Yes. And it's something I actually mentioned earlier. So you've already you reiterated what my answer to that question would be. But the, the third thing would be giving us ownership. So I'll, you know, kind of end today later with, you know, one of my favorite books that I've read, and it was something my boss recommended um, and actually gave me. And it, and I'll, I'll save it. I'll give some, uh, I'll give some <laughs> so, mystery, yes. but it's, it's about leadership and giving somebody ownership, even if it is their first job, um, making them really own that and feel like they are playing a big part in the organization, no matter how big or small, that's going to be critical. Um, especially I think for, for Gen Zers coming into the workplace now, because they are, they want, I mean, let's just look at the generalizations again, like, this is, you know, the, the trophy generation, um, kind of the tail end of the millennials who we, our whole lives, we've gotten, you know, medals and participation trophies and everyone always likes to highlight that, but, you know, play on that a little bit because we, I'm not saying give, give trophies out for, you know, like sending emails, but give them ownership. It's kind of, you kind of have to look at it in a parallel lens. Like we want, to make things happen. And of course you can't give us uh, an ED position. You can't write up right off the bat, but right. you can give us ownership that we can begin to feel more confident and, and feel like we are valued at the company. It's a great point. And, but for the, the fun of this conversation, I'll put my cynical executive director hat on and you've heard this as well. Like, all right, come on, Camber. Yes, we know, the, the, the new professional needs to be taken care of, but there are still some kind of roll up your sleeves tasks they have to do. So Absolutely. how do you respond to that? Because I think sometimes that's the ED response is, yeah, but you know, I can't handhold them. You know, the, the reality of the job does require some less fun tasks, um, but I'm sure you can counter that. Oh yeah, I mean, we all have to go through it. I could give you a long list of what I was doing in my first year as an associate director. I mean, just to give you an idea, when I first came on board, it was just my boss and I. So it was the executive director and the associate director. And <laughs> right. We split up her job when I first got there. So all of the things that I was now doing, she used to do at one point. She used to, we have a, a fundraiser in the fall that's a mini putt-putt tournament. It's very fun. <laughs> right. It's a business to business networking event. And we have a great time, but my boss used to like, we always joke around that our cars were filled with these boxes that had, you know, putters and like golf balls just rolling around in the back seat. And we both had to, we both had to, to do that. We both had to deal with that. And, and I look back on it very fondly because now I look at my position and I've worked my way up and I've, you know, provided value. Um, so you can still provide value, even if you're, you know, you're carrying putters and balls across the upstate of South Carolina. And you're, you know, we just, we all have to have those, those moments. And especially with the small nonprofit, that's going to happen more often than not. And so I think everyone needs to go through that. Um, not even in the nonprofit field. I think 
you know, you should definitely pay your dues. Um, do I think that you should still be doing it five to 10 years down your career? No, I don't. But I do think that it's a rite of passage. And for, you know, looking back, you know, to you and to, to other EDs, um, you can do that without making your young professionals feel like they're not providing any value. So make, make them feel like what they're doing is important. You don't need to handhold them, but just make sure that it's not, it's, don't give them something that, you know, you absolutely would never do yourself because I know that my boss has walked those, those routes and she's walked in my shoes. And so that makes me know that she's done it before. All right. I can do this for a little bit too. Great point. And I think that's a great way to phrase it and frame it. And I have confidence in the young professionals. Uh, they do get it by and large and nonprofit leaders need to understand that and just be transparent, right? That yes, I want to build on your strengths when you join my nonprofit, but I'm also going to be upfront that there are some things we all have to roll up our sleeves and do. And it sounds like Camber, you're confirming that the good people absolutely understand that. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, you and I looked at an interesting study um, that uh, it's based on a book called Z Economy by Jason Dorsey and Denise Villa. Uh, and it talks about kind of the similarities and differences between the millennial generation and the Gen Z. And you're a perfect one to look at both of those. You can look up or down and in the middle at those generations. But I wonder, as you looked at that report about what Gen Z in particular is looking for in a job, what jumped out at you? Yeah, so some of the keywords, I would say, first off, I agree on a professional and personal level, um, probably about the first half of these answers. Like I am, you know, I've mentioned before, I'm the tail end of millennials being 25 years old. And I do agree that salary and benefits are, are very important. Um, you know, I would say a lot of people in my, in my space believe that. And that was one of the reasons that I chose my first job in the insurance world. Right. Um, to be completely honest, you know, I had extreme, extremely nice stability. Um, and so there's a reason that I chose to, you know, kind of take a leap of faith and come back to this job because it was something I was very passionate about. Um, and I think I'm probably a little bit different, um, when it comes to the rest of my peers who are millennials, but as far as the Gen Z answers go, I mean, some keywords that I found the flexibility, the culture, the perks, that is something you're going to continue to see, especially as we get into this very different work life. I mean, work as we know it is, is gone. It's going to, it's going to be very different in the coming years. And so I actually will be really interested to see what this, this data would turn into a year from now, because I think it's going to change. Um, I think that flexibility will, will stay the same, but one thing I want to mention a lot of people, even if you are a Gen Z or a millennial that I've, I've noticed just from talking to young professionals is the virtual world has made stress, has made work stress even higher because now you, you are working where you're sleeping, you're exercising where you're sleeping in some cases, you're eating where you're sleeping and working and there's no distinction. And so flexibility, I think, I don't know if that can even, if that word needs to change a year from now, you know, it's just, Great it's, it's going to be really different. But I, I found that, you know, you look at the Gen Zers, you see flexibility, culture and perks. And to me, that is a nonprofit to me. Like you can find, you're going to start to see Gen Zers looking and gravitating towards nonprofits because they can do that 
way more than, than other institutions, in my opinion. My job, and again, it goes back to my boss, she, in, she encourages a very positive culture where, you know, get the work done that you need to get done, but then if you need to take some time, take some time. Um, because your health and your emotional and physical health is, is above anything. And so that's really important. And again, not all nonprofits are going to be like that, but I would say for the most part, a lot of nonprofits, there is the flexibility where you can run to your son's soccer game. If you need to, you can, um, you know, you can come in late if you need to, but then you know that you're going to have to work late too. And so I think there's much more flexibility on that front. And I don't know if you agree with me, Patton, or not. No, totally. In fact, um, well, several good points you made that I'd underscore. Again, to reiterate the survey, uh, the state of Gen Z kind of conclusions, if you will, salary was uh, primary among Gen Z professionals. This is in all sectors. But you point out, Gamber, the flexibility is key. And you're right. I don't think we're going to go back to, you know, pre-pandemic, even when we have the ability to. Um, I talked to an executive director yesterday, and she said we don't even use the phrase, she outlawed it, about when it gets back to the way it was, because it won't. Mm -hmm. and, and I wonder if there are some silver linings to that, mm -hmm. that we found that we can work remotely. But I'm glad you lifted up, Camber, as well, that it's about getting the job done. And I think nonprofits that frankly enforce a strict kind of nine to five uh, schedule are going to have a hard time attracting and retaining the professionals you and I are talking about. Agreed. We, we need to. So lesson there for the, the nonprofit executive and hopefully uh, they will kind of heed that advice. Mm -hmm. um, Cameron, this has been fantastic. Uh, and again, you've given kind of lots of food for thought, both for the professional aspiring to nonprofit leadership, as well as, the nonprofit leader who wants to build a strong team. And there's so much talent, you know, in the young professional set that you know well. Um, is there any other advice you would offer, I guess, first to the young professional pondering nonprofit leadership and then to the nonprofit leader wanting to attract and retain, frankly, someone like you? Yeah. Um, so I could answer this in so many different ways. And so I'm going to try to keep it concise, Patton. <laughs> but because I interview so many people from across all different industries, I want to mention that it is very applicable across all fields to remember this. Life is too short to be doing something that you hate. I can guarantee that most people who work for a nonprofit, they don't hate the mission. You right. know, they, they, might, they might dislike some of the tasks. I'm not going to say they won't. But... <laughs> right. but you're going to, I think it's, it's going to be hard pressed to try to find somebody who doesn't believe in what they're doing. It's, it's sometimes hard. You know, I've interviewed people who work for, um, HP, people who work for Deloitte, people who work for, you know, a number of companies like an athletic wear company or an eyewear company. And sometimes it's hard to get behind a large company where you're not tied to the mission. Right. Um, and I found that with a lot of people that I've interviewed, there's just a difference. And so remember that life is way too short to be doing something you hate. And for those who are looking to get into the, the nonprofit space, you're not going to hate what you're doing because you're doing good. You are helping somebody or something. And that is way bigger in my opinion than spending your days nine to five sitting at a computer and hating what you're doing. It's just, yes. well put. You can't, be, you, you can't be miserable your whole life. So I would say that's, 
absolutely my, my last piece of advice that I like to, I would like to end with. And as far as for nonprofit leaders looking to attract and retain this group, um, you know, you just touched on this being, being aware that that nine to five timeframe is not going to, it's not going to attract people anymore. Um, but also you need to make sure that in this virtual format, if you're continuing to stay virtual for, you know, the foreseeable future, um, like Twitter and some of the, you know, the big Silicon Valley companies are, are now doing, you have to realize that there are, there are going to need to be new ways to engage people, um, particularly those who are starting a new career. Maybe you're starting at a nonprofit and you can't be physically present in the office. Um, how are you going to engage them and how can you engage them differently than older generations? You know, we, we do want social connection. Um, and so figuring out ways to, you know, provide them with professional development opportunities that, you know, encourage them to, to meet others and, and to get connected with other people in the office is going to be really, really critical moving forward. I wish I had all of the answers for you, but those are just some takeaways I think that, that people can, can go and leave this podcast with. Cam, Camber, wonderful advice. And you do have many answers that are perfect for our listener who, again, pondering nonprofit leadership or uh, trying to assure their team uh, is able to, to maintain the talent that's out there. And I think increasingly so as young professionals, as you put it so well, uh, embrace the mission of a cause and they would like to work for it. You know, the nonprofit profession is one of the fastest growing sectors in the United States. You know, there's real career opportunities there. And I think when I first started, you know, many people just assumed, all right, well, good for you, Pat, and you're interning with Special Olympics, but when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> you know, and I was like, actually, I think there is a real job here. And I'm delighted, Camber, that you're lifting it up through your own example and the work you do through YoPro No. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I've loved this role so much. And I do want to leave um, with one more comment. When I was at the insurance company, um, you know, really miserable, hating my day-to-day life, I had kept in touch with my boss and my boss from my internship, who is now my current boss. And we actually talked in February. So I left the company after a year. So May of 2018. And in February, I called my boss. Her name's Lauren. And we had kept in touch for, you know, every few months. She just was checking in on me and and seeing, um, you know, how I was doing. And because I was in a different city as well. And in February, she happened to call and I just was, that was kind of at my wits end. I was really miserable. And I just started crying to her. I said, I, this is not what I had in mind. And I really, um, I just don't know what to do. And she said, Camber, are you joking right now? And I said, no, I'm not joking. Like, (laughs) what what are you talking about? And she had always been just a mentor to me in general. And she said, Camber, I was, I was about to post a job opening tomorrow. And it just, it was very fortuitous. Um, it all happened very quickly after that. I, you know, immediately called my parents because I just had no, they, they knew what was going on, but they, I would like to mention that my parents the whole time, they, of course they, you know, they supported me and they helped me, but they never said, oh, you need to do this or you need to do that. They, they wanted to make sure that this was my decision and my decision alone. So when I looked back at it, I knew that I had made the right decision or wrong one. And they, so they were very supportive, but you know, didn't tell me what to do. And after about a month or two of, of really taking it to heart and figuring out what was the next step, that's when I decided to make the leap of faith. 
Um, and so I say, I call it a leap of faith because I'm not telling everyone who's listening or, you know, people who hear my story, who are in a corporate position, all right, just jump to a nonprofit in your life. Right. It's amazing. I, I realized that my story was very different because I had interned for them. And so I was able to come in without a learning curve and, you know, at a, at a certain level that I would not have gone into if I had started right after school. And so um, the stars kind of aligned for me, but I really, it was the best decision I ever made. And I still believe that two and a half years later. Wonderful testimonial, frankly, to you, Camber. And we got to give a shout out again to Lauren at Parkinson's Society, <laughs> who, who yes. uh, both uh, em- employed uh, wonderful strategies of, of, of attracting and retaining you. But you know what she did, which I'm telling a lot of executive directors, whether you have an opening at the moment or not, you should always be connecting to talent because you yes. just don't know when that opportunity will emerge. And I guarantee you it will where you're going to need talent. Yes. And so good for Lauren for staying in touch with you. And obviously that put both of you kind of where you are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Camber, this has been wonderful uh, advice up and down for both sides of the nonprofit equation that we talked about, employer and employee. Uh, if I could ask you for one more parting gift, tell mm-hmm. us about that book that you hinted earlier yes. that you might share uh, <laughs> with our listeners. Yes. So it's probably no surprise just based on the theme that I've mentioned today, but it's called The Way of the Shepherd, Seven Secrets to Managing Productive People. And it is a wonderful book. It's pretty short. It's, um, I think, a little over 100 pages. And it's all about managing people. Um, My boss recommended it. And I certainly want to lead people that way one day. Um, I do have some interns for the Oprono. And so I really try to do that um, and, and try to live out some of these management principles in my day-to-day, both with the Oprono and some of the volunteer work that I do um, managing committees. It's, it's really important and I hope more people can read this. That's fantastic, Camber. Delighted to lift that book up. Uh, I have been uh, so fortunate to get wonderful recommendations from all of my guests. In fact, I'm working on kind of a, a year in review, you know, best of the best book recommendations. So delighted to add yours to that list. And of course, we'll put that in the show notes along with many of the other resources and links that you have suggested. But Camber, where can people go to find out more about you and the great work you're doing? Yes. So I would love if people would first go to our website, www.yoprono.com. From there, I would encourage you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out. So every week we release two different stories, one podcast video series, Yopro, and then another blog post where a Yopro writes, um, contributes to our site about an experience that they've had as a young professional in their specific field. So you get both of those every week. Sometimes I, I, also share some tips. Um, so those are, that's the first, first two ways that you can get involved. And then I would encourage you to, to follow all of our social media, which you can also find on our website. Um, and then I'd encourage you to follow me on LinkedIn and connect and reach out and, you know, see how we can um, connect and potentially collaborate. So that's Camber Parker um, on LinkedIn. Fantastic. I will absolutely list every one of those opportunities for connection in the show notes, um, as I have already suggested. And Camber, thank you so much for joining me on The Path. Thanks, Patton. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Camber as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide you on your professional journey. Perhaps you are a young professional as she is 
or you are leading a nonprofit organization and want to do a better job of creating a culture that will attract and retain the kind of talent that clearly is out there, like Camber and many of the young professionals she's speaking with. Don't forget to check out the show notes. Just go to our website, PattonMcDowell.com, and you can find more about YoPro No and the resources Camber offers, as well as other resources through our PMA channels. As always, thanks for sharing this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe. Just go to the podcast page, PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll see links to Apple and other of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. You know, if you like this episode, you might also want to check out episode number nine, where Karen Geiger shares some great strategies also about this topic of talent development. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.